We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, listeners. It's part three of the Keith Gillespie's Career Podcasts. We left part two at the start of the 96-97 season. Uh, the signing of Alan Shearer, the hammering off Man United in the what's now the Community Shield, the Charity Shield back then. Um, lads, first of all, I hope you're both well. Thanks for joining, as ever. No worries, mate. Uh, good, to have it. good to be back on again. Uh, we had a bit of a... Bit of a bit of a delay with technical issues, yeah. which is standard. But you know, we're three blokes in my mid forties. I think um, it's a it's a situation that many people of a similar age could probably empathise with. Um, you know, BBC acorns were were in vogue when I was in school. So you know, when, the, when these Macs and smartphones come along, I do get lost on occasion. Like um, so, lads, you know, the start of the ninety six ninety seven season, it was a little bit slow. A couple of defeats in the first few games, um, a win over Wimbledon, obviously with. Shearer's first goal and a, and a kind of often forgotten outrageous goal by David Batty, which happened only a couple of weeks after Beckham's against Wimbledon, I think. Um, the kind of half halfway line lob over the keeper. But I guess, you know, Newcastle really rolled up. The season kind of kick-started, I guess, when Newcastle rolled up to, um, to Joker Park to play against Sunderland. Um, I don't know if it's me and you two lads may be able to tell me before this game, were there some kinds of rumblings of discontent about um, the, the tactical setup and, and, and the lineups? Am I am I just imagining that? Um, I actually can't remember. I, I can't remember if there was or not. Um, you could be right, but uh, certainly it's not ringing any bells with me. Um, I think um, you know when we went to Sunderland, um, that was the one where there was no fans, wasn't it? Away That's fans. right. Yeah. Um, did we go one 0 down? No. Yeah, it was. Um, well, it took out uh, Steve Agnew, the coach. And, that's right. Uh, and uh, was it Martin Scott, the fullback, for the penalty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then um, uh, Les scored, and who was the other one? Pedro. Peter. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Peter. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was. I was on the bench. I think that night. So um, you know, I played the first game of the season, and then. We had we had Tino as well, you know. We had Alan. We had um, Les. You know, <laughs> we were sort of spoiled for choice, so we were. Um, so he did sort of mess about, I suppose, with with trying to get all three of them on the pitch at the same time. Um, so I was the the fall guy for that, really. 
but yeah, I, I mentioned it last time about the first game of the season, Everton. I, th- I think we were just completely wrecked still from from being out in the uh, in the Far East. Um, you know, I certainly felt wrecked. I played the first game of the season and and didn't play the second, but. Just the whole uh, jet lag thing just it took me. I'd never been jet lag before, and it just took a bit longer to get over. I think um, my recollection of it is, as I said in the last podcast, um, you know, it was like Keegan found a place for Peter Biazzi to play in that charity shield, and obviously we got a batter 4 0. I'm not blaming Biazzi for that, of course. But, but as, was, as we alluded to in the last pod, you know, he didn't really seem to know who he's. You know, he did. there was obvious guaranteed starters, but I think because he had signed, as you say, Keith, he had signed Tino, mm-hmm. he, uh, he had signed um, Shira, and obviously Fernand Biazzi were fantastic the season before yourself, yeah. Ginola. You know, um, I, I think that, that that was probably why we didn't go after a, a really, really good start as well. Um, so it was quite disappointing, Norman, to answer your question. You know, we, we, we would have been expected to certainly be Sheffield Wednesday at home. But um, but if I remember rightly, then I got off to a, a cracking start as well. Um, you know, I, I think it was us and them who, um, in the legs of Manu, who were up the top of the league at, at the start of the season. But PSC come back in, as Keith rightly says, there was no away fans. A couple of sneaked in, of course. Um, and, you know, this, that that result, I mean, Salon had got off to a half-decent start as well. So it, it was, even though on paper, we should have absolutely battered them. It's never like that in a derby, and um, we we managed to come away with that two-one victory, and you could see a massive sigh of relief, Norman. Absolutely, I mean the form after that was absolutely spectacular. So we'll talk about the form leading into the obvious five-nil victory over Man United. Um, you know, away to Spurs, great win. Home to Blackburn, away to Leeds, and then you know the the four-nil win over Halmstad. Obviously, the two-one defeat as well. Um, yeah, Keith, it'd be good. It'd be good to hear your thoughts on. On the Hamstats defeat, because if I'm correct again, if I'm correct again, I'm, not, I'm never correct. If I'm correct this time, um, Keegan was very upset with the Hamstats defeat, and then we played Villa in a, a televised game, I think, yeah. on a Monday night, and it was a fantastic game. And if I remember correctly, you were absolutely on fire in that match. Um, is that is that your recollection of both those games? Yeah, um, yeah, we were <clears throat> we were terrible against Hamstad. Um You know, Keegan after the game was. Was really critical of the performance, and, and rightly so. You know, we just weren't at the races, and it was one of them. Probably we 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 were going away to this team, and we thought that it was going to be easy. Um, and obviously, we ended up losing. I know we 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 got the job done in the uh, in the second leg, but um, you know, this it just shows you sort of football that you you can't take anything for granted because you know, although they're sort of a small side, they. They they done a job on us that night, um, and then as you say, the Aston Villa game uh, was oh, an unbelievable game of football. Um, it's one where I sort of see quite often now reruns of it. Um, another another four three that we were involved in. Uh, I think Dwight Dwight York got a hat trick for them. Um, we I think we'd gone one nil down. Les scored that night. Alan scored. I think maybe Steve Howe got the fourth one. But yeah, it was one. Uh, it was a game where. Um, I knew that I was on on the top of my game. Um, I remember, I think it was Mark Draper might have got sent off in the first half. He fouled me and got booked, and then he fouled uh, Bez and got booked. So, but it was it was one of them. Keegan wasn't too happy afterwards because they'd gone down to ten men in the in the in the first half, and and they obviously still scored three goals. 
you know. So, although we were winning games, he, he wasn't happy with with you know certain things, um, you know, and especially sort of being as I say at home against a team of ten men, you shouldn't be uh, you, could, you shouldn't be conceding the goals that we were. But um, you know, it was a, a typical New, Newcastle performance, I suppose, at that stage under under Kevin with. Um, with four goals and, and and obviously the fans going happy with a bit of entertainment. It's interesting, it's interesting. because um, Dwight obviously got a hat trick, but if I'm not mistaken, he also got one short off or offside. It wasn't. Yeah, that's right. It, it definitely wasn't offside. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because we mentioned um, Jurgen Klinsmann in a couple of podcasts ago. You know about how um, how he was just. You could just see he was on top of his game, you know, world class player, and uh, he and the Tottenham players got got applauded off in that in that three three draw, Keith, that used to come in a, a couple of seasons earlier. And uh, Dwight, you all got the same. I always remember it because I, I had a change of seat that that day. A friend of mine was on holiday, and I, for some reason, I says, "Oh, I'll, I'll take his seat." Now one of my mates went in mine with the rest of the lads. So I was in the Leeds end, and um, the majority of the Newcastle goals were at that end that night. I'm sure, and. Um, and I always remember Dwight York um, getting a bit of a, a, a you know a generous applause from from the Leeds end even when the game was going on because it, it was just as you say it was a, a cracking game of football um, you know you walk away from a four three game you won the game you're absolutely buzzing what what a joy but I think as you rightly say Keith there was still um, you know questions and, and Keegan was probably right to ask them uh, but interestingly though Keith. Um, you weren't the fall guy because um, it was Ginola who was dropped for the next game at, at, um, at Derby when Peter came back. So, so maybe that was the first time that um, you know Keegan actually had, you know admitted that perhaps Ginola was starting to to, to fade, fade a little bit. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, th- I think so. Then you know, as I said before, I, it was it was all, all very easy for him to drop me because I was the youngest, and you know he just would know that I wasn't going to be coming banging on his door. Um, you know, and that, that was just the way it is. And I mean, you sort of, you sort of look at um, the strikers that we had and I look, I, we, we obviously went out and got Alan, um, you know, and to have Alan and Les up front, um, you know, and, and we also have Tino as well. I, I, there was, there was a period obviously where he wanted to get all three onto the pitch, but um, I sort of just wonder if he knew he was getting Alan, you know, when when we did, would he have actually gone out and get got Tino in the March time? I'm I'm not sure mm. because it sort of just uh, it, it sort of just messed him up a bit because at times he did try and get them all on the pitch and it was difficult to do that. And then, as you say, you, you've obviously got Peter. He's trying to get Peter on the pitch, and yeah. it just p- probably became a bit of a headache. And then, obviously, if I'm if I'm Coming in like I did against Aston Villa and and doing well, then there's another headache. So um, I suppose it's a nice headache to have in terms of you know the players that I've just mentioned. Um, you know we're talking about you know some unbelievable players, uh, but yeah, there's some of the sort of performances. Although we were winning, you know wasn't wasn't sitting well with Kevin at that time. You know and he. He did have a sort of go at us. Remember after we won that game against Aston Villa, yeah, um, and you know that was obviously because of you know his letting in you know goals again, which um, which was a bit of a problem the, se- the previous season. I uh, I've been reading match reports um, and various bits and bobs, you know, in the aftermath of that match, and um, there were a couple of 
demands for Albert to come back in the side for Peacock. So that suggests that obviously the fans weren't happy with what was going on at the back. Uh-huh. Um, I've read a couple of people actually slating Robert Lee and saying that Lee Clark needs to come in instead, um, in, which is obviously a madness because Lee went on to have what, three or four more seasons at Newcastle and also, I mean, he played until he was 41, I think, in, in professional football. Uh-huh. But um, the interesting thing that I've read is, uh, and this is to stoke your ego ever so slightly here, um, not stoke it, that would be wrong, wouldn't it? Stroke it, uh, Keith. Um, I mean, we can stoke it if you want, like, but we don't know where that's going to head. Um, <laughs> Is uh, it says uh, nufc.com? Thank you, gents. Um, his best ever game for the tune, obviously, this is pre Barcelona, perhaps. Um, Villa's short arsed fullback, brackets, whose name I still can't remember, is right. meant to be quite useful. Oh, Gillespie nice. had him sussed and delivered a string of excellent crosses. There you go, mate. <laughs> I guess that short arsed fullback would have been Alan Wright. That was Alan Wright, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, from. From one one short man to another, Alan, I I, I am with you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I guess you know. We I think after this debut, I think you mentioned there, Mark. We went away to Derby and won, yeah. and then obviously, you know, we'll not we'll not linger too long in the five nil game because I imagine Keith's done numerous talkings where he's gone through the motions on this so many times, um, yeah. and, and we've obviously as, as fans heard about it so much. But I think it is important to to discuss it ever so briefly. Um, you won the. You were on the bench for this, Keith. I mean, first of all, was that a bit of a shock to you, given how well you you know you you played, and also, I guess, given the the league title loss the previous season, the hammering in the charity shield, did Keane have any kind of extra fire in his belly for this? Did the lads on the on the training ground how how did it how did it unfold in front of your eyes? Well, I, rem- I remember um, we trained at um, St James's on the on the Saturday. Um, I'm not sure why that actually was, you know, because that was sort of quite random to be doing that. And the game was obviously on the Sunday. So we were actually doing set pieces and, and I was taking the set pieces. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm playing, you know, so there's no point in me taking corners for if, if you know, the day before a game, you, you, yeah. you do know that you are playing. So uh, it was a bit of a shock to me the next day when I turned up to the uh, to the ground, the team was announced because Janola wasn't playing. Um, he wasn't, you know. We sort of you, you can always work out what the team is. Uh, so Janola wasn't playing, but he announced the team, and Janola was playing then, and I wasn't. Um, and I remember actually having the conversation with Paul Ferris. Yeah. Um, after um, at one stage, and he said to me that uh, he'd actually heard Janola talking to Kevin Keegan and and telling them that if he didn't play, that was him. He was going to leave. Um, so obviously Kevin bowed down to that, um, you know, and like you know, I, I was the full guy, you know. So it was uh, it was obviously disappointing, and uh, you know, I, I I did I for that game I didn't even want to be on the bench yet. I just felt, you know, I don't know what I felt because I, I knew I should have been playing, um, you know, and obviously playing against my old club as well. And I know, and I, I know you. <laughs> I can't really say too much because the team went out and, and scored five, but just the whole circumstances about how I was left out just it didn't sit well with me, um, you know. And I was, uh, I didn't, as I said, I didn't even want to be on the bench. And, and Kevin brought me into his, his office and I told him I didn't want to be, and uh, he just talked me around then, um, you know. And obviously, I didn't come on, but you know, it was uh, it was incredible just to actually sit and watch that and um, goal going in goal after goal and you know it's not very often that uh, anybody scores five past um, 
past Man United. Um, I think maybe it was actually the following week, and then <laughs> it, was. it was Southampton put six. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, anything we can do, they can do better. But um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was disappointing for me, obviously, because I, I didn't play, and, and just the whole circumstances, you know, surrounding uh, how I actually got left out. Because I I actually had uh, a lot of friends over. I, I think there was about twelve to fourteen friends. My dad was over, and. You know, I told them. I'd, I'd already told them I was playing. You know, so it's a bit of it's a bit of a nightmare then that they've turned up and then all of a sudden they've seen the team sheet and I'm not playing. You know, and they're thinking what's going on. But yeah, you know, it was uh, it was disappointing for me. Um, you know, to be left out in in, in the way that it was. I think uh, just disregarding that uh, Ginola incident, Keith. Um, I think it was common knowledge that. He wanted to go to Barcelona, didn't he, in the summer? His head had been turned. So if Keegan's pers- persuaded him to stay, I think um, that's that's definitely a sign of, uh, do you know, <laughs> spitting his dummy out in a way, you know, and go, well, look, you've guaranteed me football, you've guaranteed me success. Um, it's just unfortunate that it was at, uh, at your expense, mate. But as, as a support, a little uh, little anecdote of that, I, I, was, uh, I ended up going back to college and uh, I couldn't I couldn't afford to keep the season ticket on. So a friend of mine, we went um, we went halves. Um, it was still in my name, but he paid half. And we, we, we picked my games. He went, "Will you go first because uh, it's in your name?" So I picked Sunderland, and he took Man United. So I'm absolutely <laughs> devastated to see that I watched this in a social club in Yarra. So <laughs> I feel your pain. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I obviously had a good view of that one as well, but um, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, Keith, it's interesting you saying that and, and talking about how you felt because obviously, from a, a fan's perspective, it was a you know one of the most memorable days in, in recent living memory, given everything that had gone on and the kind of history that had built up between Newcastle and Man United up to that point. But I think what it got me thinking there was when obviously you see reports in the press of players kicking off for managers because they're not being picked or because they've been dropped. And, you know, there's a... Usually you do get a lot of the the sort of football support and public will will criticise a player who, who you know, they'll call it spitting a dummy, but it's not really. And, and it got me thinking of, you know, if, if you're in a workplace, regardless of how much money people are paying you, regardless of what the, gear, the, the job is that you're doing, if you're in a workplace and you're doing your job really well, then all of a sudden, you know, you're booted out for someone else, yeah. you would be upset by it. And I think it you seeing that, it just kind of brings it down to a human level because I think, you know, what happens is the the general public, you know, air quotes here, there is an impression that football or, or footballers are almost superhuman and, and they shouldn't have any kind of feelings on, on how on how it is when, when they drop the trigger well, you drop it to team game, just get on with it. And, and I don't think it's as similar as that. And, and you seeing that has really kind of, you know, rammed that home, I suppose. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, if, you, if, if you're playing well, then obviously... I'd played well against uh, against Villa, and um, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of games later, I'm left out. Um, you know, and I, as I said, I wasn't one to go knocking on on a manager's door, and I think Kevin probably knew that. You know, because if you've got a, a more experienced player, they they might go and do that. They might go and knock on a manager's door, and most of them sort of would, but that just wasn't me. Um, you know, and I remember actually being at uh, at Blackburn and. We drew, we drew with uh, Arsenal at Highbury, 3-H, and I scored in the game. And uh, I was left out the next week. And um, uh, Graham Souness actually came to me after the game that we played then where I was left out. And he says, why were you not knocking on my door? 
um, mm. asking why you weren't playing. So he's pretty much telling me that I shouldn't have been left out and I should have been knocking on his door, but, you know, still left me out, so to speak. So it was maybe, uh, maybe he was doing that to, to see, you know, because he wanted to see what my character was like because he was new to the club or whatever, you know, as the managers do. But um, as I say, that's not something that I would have done with the, uh, with Kevin, um, you know, and especially, especially that when when you sort of name the players that I was being left out in, instead of, uh, although just the the whole Janola story around that that time, where you know he played instead, not like he obviously scored a scored a great goal in the game um, and played really well. So, you know, I can't have any uh, any arguments because of the, because of the actual result. The goal was definitely a fluke, mate. Didn't we? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Graham Souness sort of like his autobiography should be called um, Graham Souness: My Life as a Cod Psychologist. What a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre thing to do. However, I digress. And again, I've mentioned this on previous podcasts. If I go down a Graham Souness wormhole, I'll never get out of it. So, <laughs> well, uh, we'll move on. I mean, we're really kind of the next block, I guess, is post Man United and then Keegan leaving in the form. After this game, it was almost on reflection, regardless of the you know the seven one and three nil Hawkins handed out to Spurs and Leeds in Keegan's last two league games. Mm-hmm. That Man United five nil win was like the it was it was like the almost like the pinnacle of Keegan at Newcastle. That spell it was almost like you know I'm done, I'm done now. Not not like necessarily him saying it, but in terms of it, it was like a peak, and then it just it dropped the form. I mean, what was it one win in nine and down from first to sixth yeah. by the time Spurs turned up. So. It'll be really interesting to get both your perspectives. Um, you as, a, as an inside and a player, Keith, and yours, Mark, as, as a fan and how you interpreted it. But Keegan's kind of, I don't know, he's, he's mood around the ground and around the training ground in that period and how it was after that Spurs game and Leeds game. And, and obviously the, the last game being the Charlton match, whether you picked up on anything, whether there was a, you know, a visible change in his body language and, and amongst the players and, and Mark, how you saw it as a, as a fan as well. It'd be great to, great to hear from you on that, lads. Yeah, I, um, you know, there was, there was, there was certain games that season where, you know, you, you look at um, some of the performances we had, you know, and I mean, uh, we'd played Varens Farris, hadn't we, that season? Uh, yeah. And the performance at home, uh, again, that was another one where we lost away from home and, and, and Kevin was, Again, very very critical of of the performance, and then um, <laughs> we we played uh, we played them in the home game, and, and and you know Kevin just went for it because I played wing back, Janola played left wing back, and I, <laughs> yeah. you know it's a it's very attack minded dad, and I think everyone will remember David's goal that night. Yeah, uh, was just absolutely unreal. Uh, but uh, we 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 played on the Sunday then after that, and it was. Um, it was uh, Middlesbrough at at home, yeah. And uh, everyone thought that it was because you know we we should be beating a club like like Varns Farras, you know, and we obviously did. They had four 0 at home, but Middlesbrough was going to be a, a you know a different proposition. But he played the same team then, and myself and uh, myself and David were were the wing backs again, um, you know. So again, very adventurous, um, and and two clean sheets in that. So. Um, which you know, when you're sort of playing wingers like myself and David as wingbacks, you know, it's it's obvious that that it is adventurous. But you know, the, there was just certain moments where you sort of just 
you know, thought that things just weren't as right. Maybe Kevin coming into training wasn't the sort of usual bubbly self at times. Um, I mean, that's not to say that I wasn't completely shocked by him when he when he did leave. Um, you know, we obviously had the, the likes of the uh, the, the Spurs game. Um, you know, he sort of. I think it's post-match interview. He sort of just talked more about feeling sorry for for was it Jerry Francis maybe? Mm-hmm. You know, feeling sorry for him. You know, and that's you know when other managers have been thinking that same way. You know, you, there's a sort of been coming out and and saying how well we did. Um, I don't really remember too much about the game because I went off after about 15 minutes. I had concussion. Um, you know, and I think it was maybe one. One or two nil at the time, but yeah, I came off with with concussion. But I'll tell you, Keith, it was three nil. You were three nil up when you went off after you went off after forty minutes, and we were 40? already three nil up. All right. Oh, I didn't realize it lasted as long as forty. I told you, I didn't remember much. You were concussing the fourteenth minute, and you just played <laughs> up on twenty twenty six. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, the, it, his last game obviously was was the charting game, and I was actually I wasn't there. I was ill. I remember watching it on TV. Um, I think we drew one each, maybe. We did, but um, yeah, I I just remember coming into training and and, and I forget who it was, Graham, uh, oh the press guy, Graham. Oh Courtney, Graham Courtney, yeah. He says that oh Kevin's gone. I was like gone. What what do you mean? He, he says he's he's walked, and I was just absolutely devastated, um, like everyone was. Yeah, we were. Uh, you know, you'd have, you'd have run through a brick wall for Kevin Keegan and. I think just the whole city was sort of in, more, in mourning mm-hmm. uh, because I think for for you guys, you know, the, before Kevin coming in and being so close to getting relegated to what what was then the old third division and mm-hmm. and the the rise in, in the four or five years where Kevin had come in was was just incredible. You know, challenging for challenging for league titles and, and obviously getting back into Europe and. You know the performances against you know the likes of Man United, beating them five and Tottenham seven. You know, so it was uh, it was obviously very uh, very hard for the fans to take. But yep, yeah, I was um, I was absolutely devastated because honestly, Kevin Keegan's the sort of manager that you you'd have just stayed at the club your whole career if he was there and played under him. I mean, I don't know whether Keith was aware at the time, but there was obviously a lot of. Uh behind the scenes issues um, regarding the, the club deciding to float, um, you know, go, go public uh, limited company. And, uh, you know, obviously as a supporter, you don't really, well, at my age at the time, I mean, Christ, how old was I? I would have been about 18, 19. So you, you don't really look at the, the political side of football at that age, I don't think, and you're not really bothered about balance sheets. You just want to turn up and, and you know, um, see, see your team win a football game. To be honest, I'm, I'm a lot like that now, but um, that, that's for another story. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as you rightly say, Norman, that the form wasn't good. Um, interesting that Keith uh, reminded us there of uh, him and uh, Genoa playing wing-backs because I had a quick glance at the team and it looked as if he did make a change and he, and he sort of replaced um, Steve Watson with Keith. And I was looking and going, well, hang on, Keith, Keith wouldn't have been playing right-back. But as he's just reminded me there, they were playing wing-backs and, and going for it. But unfortunately, it, it backfired in a way because what a what a um, that terrible run of form. Um but read, reading Keegan's book, he, he alludes to the fact that the, the, the club turned around and says, look, um, you know, we're not going to back you anymore financially. 
Um, you've got what you've got. You've got to try and win that silverware. And uh, he was also uh, told that um, the Halls wanted some of their money back. Um, you know, we were led to believe that the Halls and the finance that was coming in was basically just, you know, endless and we're going to some, somehow just keep buying and win, win that elusive trophy but they decided that they wanted um, you know that the money was just loans and they wanted to take some some cash back out so obviously when the club decided to float so there was rumours that um, you know Keegan you know was rightly pissed off about it you know I'm on the verge of something here yes we're going through a sticky patch but we're, we're nearly there we're still in Europe of course I think we're into the quarterfinals um, which would have followed in the new year and um, it was disappointing, but if I remember right, he called the the, the, the board's uh, bluff. He he was told to raise six million, and um, apparently he says, "Okay, well I'll sell um, Les Ferdinand." Oh no, you can't do that. You can't do that. There'll be there'll be hell on the sport as I'll kick off. All right, well I'll sell Lee Clark because Clarky. I think Keith may confirm this or not. I think Clarky was um, annoyed as well because he every time he was um, he was a bit like Keith. You know, he was in and out of the team and um, despite playing really well and, and being part of that that side that almost won uh, the championship in the previous season, he, he was you know he would have been annoyed that he was just out of favour. But um, but yeah, they said no, you can't sell Clark. He's a fan favourite, etc. So I think he cashed in on Darren Hook to be around about the time for a couple of million. And um, Sod's Law, he scored a goal against us at, um, at Highfield Road. And we got beat. How many times have we, have we, have we experienced that? But, um, but yeah, so I, I suppose it was a little bit of a game of um, you know cat and mouse, wasn't it? And who was going to buckle first? And, and unfortunately for, for the club, um, and unfortunately for us to support us, um, I, we've never, I don't think we've ever recovered really since you know we've had a couple of fleeting years under Bobby Robson you know that fifth place under Pardew but I'll be totally honest nothing comes anywhere near those um, those five years under, under Kevin Keegan the first time around and, and just, to, just to confirm what we've discussed before you know you only have to look at Keegan's eye for a player you know you, you look at when he arrived we had um, it was a France car at uh, right, right wing he was replaced with Rob Lee, who was then replaced with Rule Fox and then replaced by Keith. So it was progression every single season. Left-hand side from Kevin Sheedy, who was a you know top-class player, but come to the end of his career, he replaced him with Scott Sellers, who was brilliant for Newcastle. And then in came Ginola. And then obviously the, the pinnacle is up front, from David Kelly to Andy Cole to Les Ferdinand to the best striker in the world and Alan Shearer. So... You know, Keegan was building and building and building, and it's just a, such a shame for me as a supporter that something had to give, and unfortunately, he just had enough, hadn't he? And, and he just didn't like the way the club was heading. And just just to conclude on that, um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm right in believing that the club says, okay, well, um, see out the rest of the season. Um, you know, we're floating, we need you to sort of market it, you know, we need to sell these shares and we need you to be the face of Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. And Keegan just turned and went, nah, that's not for me. And um, it's just such a shame, lad, you know. Um, but as a football club, you've, you've got to move on. Absolutely. Um, two things before we move on. I love the um, examples of progression you gave there. Absolutely bang on, Mark. And I'm just wondering where Mike Cooper fits into that, but we won't go into that. Um, and also, um, can we just take a moment? Uh, you mentioned Jerry Francis. Keith, I just want to take a moment to um, remember Jerry Francis is here. Um, because, to be fair, the man is still now has that mullet, which is just, it's just testament to his um, 
his determination to stay at the forefront of of hairstyles. So well done, Jerry. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Dalglish comes in, and, and again, your thoughts, Keith and Mark. Um, Dalglish came in, and personally, I thought, well, if Keegan's gone, which I'm devastated about, Dalglish coming in actually soothed the pain a little bit because you look at Dalglish's record and you're thinking. This is a winner. This is a man who's won, you know, multiple titles. Albeit, yes, he inherited a fantastic side at Liverpool. He was bankrolled at Blackburn when bankrolling wasn't really a thing. In fact, you could argue that Blackburn were the first real team to, again, air quotes, buy the title. But he still had to put a team together. He still had to manage them. And, you know, he still had to get get it over the line. And he did. And I thought, well, all right, if the issue with Newcastle being successful is possibly the defensive aspect of the game because, you know, Keegan allegedly plays gung-ho football. We all know that it's a kind of myth. We know how good the defence was, really. But Dalglish is the man to come in and to really tighten things up. And if he allows the attacking player to continue as it is, then this could actually work out fantastically well for us. And I guess, you know, a couple of things. The rumours around um, who would be taking over pre-Dalglish being announced... um, be interesting to hear what you thought. What, what your thoughts were there, Keith? What you thought when Dalglish came in, and and I guess how the rest of the season panned out because you know it was a little bit of a slightly wobbly start, but his record between coming in and the end of the season was was absolutely phenomenal, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think when you know a manager leaves a club, and you know it's somebody like Kevin Keegan who who's so hard to replace because of, of the relationship he would have had with the fans and, and the job that he'd done as well. You know, you know, it's like a poison chalice for, for, for some when, when something like that happens. You know, it's like you've seen how hard it was for, for Man United to, to replace Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, it's it's difficult to do and that's that's the same thing with, with Kevin Keegan. Uh, but I think when, when you hear Kenny Daglish is coming in, you think, well, you know, he's... Uh, He's obviously done it, you know, the top of his game. You play for Liverpool, you know, won league titles there, won doubles there. You know, been successful as a manager. You're thinking it's 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 the perfect fit. Um, there's not many people could come in um, to replace Kevin Keegan, but you know he was maybe one that that maybe we thought could. Um, and he's one of them because I, I used to I used to hit Cap. Kevin or Kenny Douglas when I was a kid because I was a, obviously a United fan and Liverpool were just winning everything. So um, when when obviously he came in and then I think his first game, what was his first game? It wasn't away. Southampton away. I think. Southampton. Oh, was uh, it Charlton? Sorry, was it Charlton in the cup? Ah, uh, yes. It? Yeah. The one that went the extra time. Um, did Alan get the winner that night? He did. Yeah, Free kick, kick. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I remember the, the the game that you mentioned that you said there as well. The the Southampton game where we were two 0 up and they scored two in the last couple of minutes. Um, the Tessier obviously done it quite a few times against Newcastle, but I, I remember Ginola that game and you sort of it was straight away you sort of seen that maybe Ginola was just not Kenny's type of player because I remember Ginola he may have been on the bench that game, but I remember. He didn't even have his boots on, sitting on the bench. He's sitting on a pair of trainers and just he's he's lifted his boots and you know he's holding on to them, walking you know from at the Dell it was obviously to the bench, um, wow. you know. <laughs> so you sort of you could see he obviously wasn't happy. Um, uh, Ginola obviously, um, yeah. and and straight away we just knew that um, that uh, 
um, Kenny didn't fancy him. So that was uh, that was a strange. One. But in terms of, as you say, the the um, the performances and re- results were, you know, absolutely absolutely incredible. You know, f- because we we had gone on such a bad run previous to that, and then you know slipping down the leg. So for for Kenny to sort of come in, and then I I, I probably don't think he um, he gets enough credit for for that end of the season. You know where, you know he was the one that that, that got us into the Champions League there. Um, you know which was, you know what we, you know dreamed about because I think five years previous to that, if anybody said to Newcastle fans you'd be in the Champions League in five years' time, they would they would be having none of it. So yeah, Kenny done, uh, Kenny done a you know a remarkable job in that in, in that period. Obviously, you know from from January to the end of the season and getting us that second place. Well, I tell you what, Keith. In- interesting. I mean, let, let Dalglish's record was, you know, between coming in and the end of the season in the league games, um, eight wins, six draws, and two defeats, um, which is which is great, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think my first recollections are actually the um, the three nil down threes each four three defeat at Liverpool. And if I'm if I remember correctly, and Mark, you might know this, remember this better than me. A fan came on the pitch and either threw his top or had a go at Dalglish, and yeah. I think Keith. Keith, you started the comeback in that game, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, I'd like to say it was uh, it was one that went in the top corner, but I think David James should <laughs> should have saved it. Not yeah, David but, James, surely. Yeah, but um, it was one of them when it went in. It was like, well, we were so poor in the first half, or three 0 down. I'm sort of thinking, well, it's a consolation, <laughs> and then uh, and then Tino scores, and then Warren scores, and. You're like thinking, oh, just please blow the whistle, you know, to get out of here at a three each after the way we've sort of played in the first half. You know, to- totally different game from the one the previous season, the four three. Uh, but yep, again, obviously, they popped up in the last minute, Robbie Fowler this time, and and you know, <laughs> it's heartbreaking game for us. But you know, that was uh, that was what it was like at times to be a Newcastle player, you know, because we. The previous season, the heartbreak that we had with certain games, the Liverpool, you know, the heartbreak of losing to Man United after, you know, totally outplaying them. Again, Blackburn away when we're 1-0 up with not long left and we lose. So, you know, it was something that we were sort of becoming sort of accustomed to, you know, the the, the heartache of, of, of certain uh, games. But, um, yeah, you know, we, we obviously... Uh, didn't let that um, affect us too much because, as you say, we only lost two games. You know when when uh, when Kenny came in um, and obviously uh, nicked the uh, the victory at the uh, the end of the, or sorry the, the win on the last day of the season and, and I think it was uh, it was goal difference that uh, that that done it for us um, and I think um, one player who actually you know was thriving that time was Robbie Elliott with mm-hmm. with. With um, Kenny, um, I think we, I think Robbie even scored. We we beat Arsenal away at Highbury, and Robbie scored. We beat him one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was sent off for for two yellows. Um, were you on the bench that day as well? Was that? No, I think, I think I started that day. Right, so two yellows. <laughs> two yellow cards. It wasn't the, it wasn't the last time I was sent off at at, uh, at Highbury because uh, a couple of years later. I got uh, I got two yellow cards within about ten seconds of each other, and uh, 
and and, and get sent off again uh, while playing for Blackburn. So, yeah. <laughs> I think um, just briefly going back over the the Daglish arrival, um, you know, I think we all know that there was the number one choice was Bobby Robson, but obviously he was um, contracting committed to Barcelona. So, I, I mean, just, just regarding what uh, Norman said, I think um, it's definitely right. He was bankrolled at Liverpool and Blackburn, you could say, to a, to an extent, um, and he walked from both clubs. So I wasn't. I, I was pleased because you thought, right, he, he can win trophies. Um, if he, if his remit was to go to the Champions League, excellent. He did exactly what was expected of him. But as, as Keith mentioned, you know, within, within weeks, um, do you know what I was? Well, do you know what I just couldn't get in the team. I think he only played about three or four more games that season. Do you, do you know what I actually mentioned? As you, as you can tell, I read, I read a lot of books, and do you know what I book um, around about the the millennium. Um, suggests that Shearer had a big influence on on um, Daglish's decision because apparently they were good mates. So you know, there's two sides to every story. But you know, that said, he knew his his uh, time was up in Newcastle because um, because of that. Uh, Shearer would say that you know I would never cross the boardroom, which I think we've discussed um, on previous podcasts. So. But um, but bear in mind as well, the week after that four three game, um, we played Coventry. And it was Peter Biazzi's last uh, start for the club as well. And, um, you know, so, so to drop two huge fan favourites within a matter of weeks of arriving at the club was a big statement. Um, but one, the last memory from that Coventry game was I remember Tino was unplayable. He was mm-hmm. unbelievable that day. And I'm sure it was the game where he, um, he got injured and uh, he got stretcher off from the, um, from the Leeser's end. Um, and he was milking the applause. It was a standard evasion. I think we, we I think we're four up at the time. And um, as soon as the, the stretcher got to the, the the dugout, he just jumped off <laughs> and walked down the tunnels. Of, I was not the man at yours. The crowd actually laughed with him because it was like Are you, you've just totally took the piss out of us. There. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about Barca later, of course. Um, but for me, that was Tino's best game. Um, he was unbelievable that day, um, but unfortunately, it was Piazzi's last game, as I say, and, and, and Daglish was putting his stamp on the team. Um, but Robbie Elliott, another one, you know, a fullback, um, you could say he replaced Junior on the left hand side of of, um, of of midfield, but you could get up and down the, the wing like like Keith did. And um, you're right, Keith. I think he scored some like seven goals under Daglish. Yeah. So yeah, great turnaround. Yeah. Yeah, it was a real purple patch for him. You know, obviously Robbie a, a defender, and you know popping up with goals. Uh, I think even the last day of the season he scored in, yes. the, in the five, so five nil. Um, uh, we know the forest. Forest was right. it? Yeah, you know, and it, again, there's some uh, some great goals that day. Uh, but you know, it, you know, going back to sort of Ginola, you, you know, I mentioned earlier. You know, we just knew that this, this was definitely not going to work. Um, you could see sort of Ginola sort of had a, 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 a smile on his face for, for quite a while you know at the beginning when he came into training and he he really got involved with the lads and then you could just sort of see everything was sort of changing um, you know and obviously you know the manager has decisions to make he had to make the decision with with Peter as well um, and you know it's obviously not going to be a popular one at times but you know he's paid to make a uh, Make decisions, and you know these were two big, big characters and, and incredible footballers. Um, and you know when you're a manager, you've got these decisions to make, and 
you know, unfortunately, as you say, you know, people's been very fortunate being Newcastle fans, being able to watch somebody like Peter Beardsley for for the amount of time that he that he played there. Uh, you know, because he's he's an absolute genius. So he is, um, you know, and I feel actually very privileged that I was able to sort of play alongside somebody like him. And yeah. I always remember even even when I came to the club and you know how good he was and I was like thinking gosh what is he 33 now how good must he have been 10 years ago or whatever you know because he was just uh, he was incredible um you know so but as I say um Kenny had these decisions to make and you know obviously um he thinks he's doing what, what he thinks best for the club and, and and how to move us forward absolutely I think um it's interesting, you know, the I guess thinking of the optimism that was generated at the end of that season with the Champions League qualification, that brilliant day in the sunshine against Forest when on that day Middlesbrough and Sunderland both got relegated and Sunderland only got relegated. Um, I mean, they, they were, I think Coventry City had to beat Spurs away and their match went into massive yeah. amounts of injury time and Coventry beat them 2-1. And I mean, as, as a Newcastle fan, it was almost the perfect day um, and I'm sure Mark would, would agree. Um, so all that optimism... Champions League qualification, etc. And then by the end of August, you've seen August 1997, you've seen Lee Clark, Robbie Elliott, David Ginola, Les Ferdinand and Peter Beardsley all shipped out. Um, and obviously incoming, Shea given, I mean, brilliant signing, absolutely. Um, but, you know, Tamiri Ketsbaya, John Dal Thomason, as we know, went on to have a great career, but never happened from Newcastle. Stuart Pierce, who was at least 63 at the time when he signed, <laughs> Alessandro Pistoni, and old John Barnes, Ian Rush, as a fan and I don't know if Mark would uh, mirror this my optimism levels were pretty much sucked out of me before you know the the first game of the season and and Keith as a player how was that pre-season for you mate? Yeah I think um, we may may have went to Dublin that pre-season I think we remember playing against PSV Eindhoven and and then we had a game against it was Derry City we won the tournament over there Uh, but yeah obviously Excuse me. The uh, the players that you mentioned there, you know, leaving the club. <coughs> Sorry, I'm choking here. Um, yeah, the Keep players. The, <laughs> the players that left the club, and then the ones that were being replaced with were not really what we were expecting. You know, and obviously, you know, Shea was was incredible. Um, you know, Pistoni was a was a really really good player who just you know, didn't do it enough. Um, you know, I think it's the f- the first game he played. Um, you know, he could play centre half, he could play left back, but he was a really good player. But he was one of them who just lacked a bit of heart at times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it would be like, uh, you know, he's injured. What you know, what's got what's wrong with him? Or oh, he's chipped a toenail or something. You know, that's how. <laughs> that's how. That's how sort of that way, you know, simple was at times. You know that. You know, we're all as other players would, <clears throat> you know, go through the pain barrier. You know, he wouldn't. But as I say, he was a he was an excellent player when when he did play. Um, you know, but you, you obviously mentioned the old guard, the players coming in, and uh, you know, obviously they are in their in their latter years. But I think it's you still got to think that. Stuart Pearce played that night against Barcelona, so did John Barnes. <laughs> you know, so they, they were able to do a job still, but obviously, you know, from where we where we'd been with the players and the and the ones that left, you know, it wasn't really adequate signings in terms of 
going to improve us, uh, which is obviously what you want to do. It's a you know a manager of a football club wants he, he he brings in players to improve the team, whereas it didn't really look like that's what he was doing. The the team was improving with with it, with the ones that he was bringing in. I, th- I think at this point, the, the players you mentioned who were sold, uh, Norman, I mean, that's a big statement of intent, isn't it? If, you, if you're getting rid of the, those sort of players, um, especially the local lads as well, because you've got to remember the likes of Clark and uh, Rob, Robbie Elliott, um, you know, were part of the the squad that, you know, saved us from relegation and almost, you know, p- potentially going out of business in 1992. Um, you know, the promotion campaign, albeit Elliot didn't didn't feature much because he was injured. But when we got in the Premier League, Elliot, you could see he was a top-class player. Um, and right right in, up to the end of the 95-96 season, where Rob, Rob came in for um, for John Beresford. So, the opener both played their part. And I, th- I think those were the most disappointing um, because I think Newcastle fans, as, as corny as it sounds, the love to see Geordie's in the team, uh, the love to back back their own, and obviously Peter was coming towards the, the the end of his career. Shall we say, even though he kept going, he's back. He's probably, he's probably still a player now, but um, you know, the Kingwell one wasn't a surprise. The Ferdinand one, <laughs> absolutely devastated, absolutely devastated. But you but you could understand it um, because he was going okay. Well, I think Ferdinand was about thirty by then. Shearer was his number one striker, and he brought in this promising uh, lad, John Tyler Thomason. So he thought, right. We're going to go for it. So I don't really share your lack of optimism, Norman, but I think within a couple of weeks, I think it was clear that the style of football was going to be totally different. And I'm sure we started that season with um, with three centre-halves in the wing-backs. And that, that's what he was going to go for, um, trying, to, trying, to, trying to steal a goal as opposed to you know setting up to definitely score them. I, I don't know whether, whether your memory is the same as mine. Well, I'll tell you what. My lack of optimism in the summer was, I mean, it was based more around the sale of Les Ferdinand, just because I loved Les Ferdinand. It was a, it was a devastating blow. But, you know, we we look at the start of the season, and obviously that season panned out to be to be terrible in terms of where we finished in the league, the lack of goals that we scored, you know, the defeat, which was the the end. As I say, it was it was almost like the um, the the walnut on the turd cake, wasn't it? Um, but uh, the um, the actual start of the season, we never really sort of we're in the top one to four, but that's because of the Champions League commitments. Now on paper, we won our first four and four and five. Won our first four and five. And defensively we did look solid. There were narrow victories eked out, but there were still wins. And you thought, well, if the style of play is going to change, as long as we keep winning, then there's a kind of pragmatic element to it. Like we could end up winning the title in this way. Obviously it didn't pan out like that. But as I say, optimistically, you know, those levels did go up because we had the Croatia Zagreb away game. Yeah, two one and Keith. Um, you know, we're obviously going to go into the Barcelona game, but we won't go into it in this podcast because we managed to spend fifty minutes talking that I never expected us to spend. I generally thought we'd get into the Barcelona game here, but um, I think we can tee that one. We can tee it up nicely for the next podcast, um, because we'll spend at least four hours talking about that game. So we can <laughs> we can go out on the on the Croatia Zagreb game now. This uh, what I remember from this is that you had the madness of um, I think the creation president saying that I forgot to he declared national bank holiday um, and back then you know bearing in mind that this was what a couple of years after the war in the Balkans not long after the Iron Curtain had fallen and, and my knowledge and I think most people's knowledge of that part of the world was still very much influenced by it's kind of Eastern Europe it's a bit 
it's a bit dangerous. The fans are mad. And, and I don't know if that's how you felt, Keith, and, and just what your experiences were of it, mate. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was a very intimidating place to go. Um, you know, we'd obviously got the, the victory at, at St. James's, the 2-1. Um, but we, we knew it was going to be tough over there. Um, you know, I've, I've sort of known from going to play in, in these countries, especially, you know, the international level, how, how difficult it can be. Um, you know, so it was a case of, you know, just trying to get over there and get the job done. We, we were so close to, uh, you know, where we wanted to be in terms of getting into that Champions League. You know, and it's, it's crazy, you know, you sort of look now that, you know, back then, we we finished second and we've got to go through like a preliminary, <laughs> can nearly speak, preliminary uh, game. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, you look at what it is now in fourth place, you know, you're straight yeah. into into those group stages or whatever. So, um, you know, it was a, it was it was probably a toughest draw as we could have got against uh, you know Zagreb. Uh, but yeah, I remember the uh, the scenes obviously when. When Tamuri got that uh, got that winner because you know it was obviously going to uh, going the penalty kicks in and, and as we know that was uh, that was going to be a lottery um, you know and you think about what how much was at stake in in terms of you know playing in, in the Champions League and um, so yeah the the obviously when when Tamuri got that winner in the last minute and we we even knew then that you know there was so little time left but they still they had to score two you know and the chances of them doing that weren't were great, so yeah, it was uh, you know it was cr- incredible, obviously to to you know that we'd we'd gotten to where we wanted to be in in, in qualifying for the Champions League, and you know I think that's something that you know all fans want to hear that Champions League music at the at the ground, um, you know, and obviously we were paired in a group with with incredible names, you know, Barcelona, Dynamo Kiev, and and PSV Eindhoven, so. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great night for the club, uh, but as I say, it was an intimidating place to go, and and you know we we went there and we and we got the job done. And one of my, one of my memories, Norman, is I'm sure this was the period where Channel Five took a claim to uh, a lot of games. Correct. Uh, yeah, and I remember it was it was a little bit odd because Channel Five must have been relatively new then, and it, they got the rights for for the, that game, and it was just bizarre watching this new channel. Um, with new commentary and pundits and things, and what we did the job, and Tamuri could spy as much as he was for me a little bit hit and miss at Newcastle, but um, you know he, he won over the fans straight away because um, he was a rajpot and all, wasn't he? But he, he won over the fans straight away with with that goal, and um, you know again the, the, the future did look bright. You know Daglish was. He was doing what he was. He was brought in to do. You know, not spending much money, bringing money in. Qualified for Champions League, um, it was just sort of it, it was a joyous time, and uh, we were, we're, at that time we were really really looking forward to the to the season. Um, but obviously we didn't expect it to play out how we did. Absolutely, I think I think in that match itself, I mean when the Ketsbaya goal went in, I think I, I think I burst into tears, which you know was very indicative of me of me heightened emotional state um, <laughs> watching Newcastle United. But um, I think I think you came on as a sub in that game, Keith. Obviously, you brought on when it's ones each, and you're thinking, well, we can just hold on, you know. We can use Keith as a maybe as an out ball, get the ball out, and we can kill some time with his pace and his and his fitness. And obviously, we concede that last minute goal, um, and you get the extra thirty minutes. And I would just love to know what 
it was like being on the pitch when Ketsbaya put that ball in the net, um, oh. especially in that stadium. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, it was, a, it was a heartbreaking game, wasn't it? Because, you know, they obviously equalised in the last minute and took it to extra time. And, you know, you're you're obviously just thinking this is this is only heading one way. It's going to penalties. And then and Tino got the ball and played it through. And just, to, you know, seeing that ball hit the back of the net, the absolute relief um, that... We knew we were going to be playing Champions League football. Uh, was was you know incredible feeling, um, you know, and I think um, I think actually Tamari, you know, was actually crying after he scored the goal. Right. You know, he was that type of character. So I get, you know, he could be volatile, but you know, gets you could see the tears in his eyes. You know, I think you just realised, you know, what he had done. You know, and and. The dreams that we had of getting the Champions League was were, were, were realised, um, you know. So yeah, it was it was an incredible, incredible feeling, um, and for us then it was uh, it was the anticipation then of you know we're in the group stages, who are we going to get? Um, and as I mentioned before, you know the the clubs that we did get, you know there there's some uh, some pretty special names. Absolutely, and we'll leave it there because obviously we know. The first group game in that Champions League campaign was against Barcelona. And uh, I think leaving this podcast yet is ideal because it sets us up. I've got, I've caught your cough, uh, Keith. Um, <laughs> Can you hear that? It sets us up perfectly for mm. the next podcast. Um, a, a slapping, a 3-1 slapping at home by Wimbledon precedes the Barcelona game, but we won't, uh, we won't dwell on that one too much. Um, interestingly, before we do leave, that Croatia Zagreb team had Robert Prozanecci, and yes, towards the end of his career, but what a player. Mm-hmm. And also a young Mark Viduga. So it was an incredible result in the circumstances. Um, and yeah, you think, well, this is good. I wonder if it can get any better. And um, the next game that we discuss, we know for a fact it does. So lads, thanks ever so much for your company. Again, really appreciate it. Cheers, Thank you. We will be back very soon. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.